According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. Is this our second week in Proverbs 2? When did we start Proverbs 2? A week or two ago. Anyway, Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. The attitude we have towards the Word of God is entirely within our control. Whether we are eager to be fed or not eager to be fed is our choice to make. And uh, so we're going to start with a word of prayer this morning that we might obey this verse. And uh, in prayer, ask God the Father to make our ear attentive to wisdom and to incline our heart to understanding. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it does. We thank you for the power of your word as we receive it, as it is implanted. Father, I just ask that we would have an understanding this morning, looking at these verses once again. Open the eyes of our understanding. Give us the eagerness, the readiness, the humility to receive this truth. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. Proverbs chapter 2. Again, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, that's a great big if, if, if. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But, of course, mom and dad want you to. The Lord wants you to. This is what it ultimately comes down to. Parents can urge, admonish, beg, bribe, steal, whatever. I mean, you can influence in every way possible. Nevertheless, it's going to be their choice. They will either... Uh, have a positive attitude or not towards the, the Word of God. Parents can urge and admonish, but children must personally adopt the humble attitude to receive the Word implanted. Every generation is accountable. It's not automatic. Just because Grandpa loved the Word and Dad loved the Word, each generation has to make that choice. Am I going to be humble before the Word of God? And uh, it is a blessing, and I think it's uh, something I, I try to highlight with respect to our teenagers when I do teach the teen class, to let them start thinking in terms of their own volitional capacity and their own generational accountability, uh, recognizing that while they were born and smaller and, and growing up and so forth, they're subject to their parents and they do what they're told and they go to the church they're told to go to and all the, uh, all the things there. But a point's going to have to happen where they're going to realize, wait a minute, this is my priesthood, this is my Christian walk, I need to be accountable before the Lord and uh, make those decisions themselves and uh, the different things there. I remember growing up how what a blessing it was in between 8th grade and ninth grade that summer. We moved from one house to another house, and it turned out the place we moved to was across the street from the church. <laughs> you know? So it worked out great. And uh, even if, uh, whatever, if dad was working late or mom was sick, or didn't, we weren't dependent upon parents for transportation. And so uh, we w went to church because we wanted to go to church. And uh, it was, just, you know, just walk across the street. It was shorter than walking to school, right? So yeah, go to church. And um, anyway, this is the idea. And each generation has to make that choice. Each generation has to identify with the will of God for where, where they go to church and, and uh, all the applications there. Now, 
The Christian way of life must incorporate receiving and treasuring Bible doctrine. If, if you will receive, first step, and treasure. If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Okay? And it doesn't have to be a process or a step-by-step thing. It, it could be simultaneous, of course. But as you're receiving the Word of God, you are treasuring it as you receive it, and you are treasuring it long after you've received it, because once you have received it, it does become your abiding treasure. It becomes your abiding possession. It is yours. The, thing, the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And so as the Word of God goes forth, you appropriate it, you receive it, you claim it, and, uh, and treasure it. The Christian way of life must incorporate receiving and treasuring Bible doctrine. If it does not, you will be under the hand of God's discipline. There's no doubt about it. This is what he intends for you to do. You are not a disciple if you're not living in the Word of God. And non-disciples come under discipline from the Father who desires us to be disciples. Remember, every branch that does not bear fruit he lifts it up so that it might bear fruit. And uh, the process of that from John 15. Now, this is not the end. It is the means to the end. This uh, Receiving and treasuring Bible doctrine is not the end. The goal of life is not to learn as much doctrine as you can before you die. All right? Um, I don't mind learning as much doctrine as I can before I die. But that's not the purpose. Okay? I do intend to learn as much doctrine as I can before I die so that I can live as much doctrine as I can before I die. The more that I learn, the more that I know, the more that I have, the more that I treasure, the better equipped I am to do everything that he has for me to do. But there are works that are prepared beforehand. We are saved unto good works. All right? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We are saved unto good works which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In this... uh, ultimately is why we learn the word of god so notice it's an if and the if has a then and uh the if has a couple of consequences actually and we'll be discussing those here again this morning got a good start on them i think last time all right if if you will receive my word and treasure my commandments within you that's not the end that's the means to the end the end is an intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be de- developing this out, how the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. It is a, it is a communication from his mouth. It is speaking to you. Do you ask for that to hit your ear? When you're coming to Bible class, say, Lord, speak to me today. Humble me. Give me a ready ear. There's going to be something in this message today that's going to speak to me, that's going to impact something uh, going on in my life. All right? It's coming from his mouth. You're not hearing it secondhand. You're not hearing it thirdhand. It's coming from his mouth to your ears. If, in fact, you are intimately walking with the Lord. He gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Look what he's doing for you. Look what he's doing for you. He's the one that's storing this up. He's the one that has it at hand, ready to go when you need it. He's already got it laid up. He's way ahead of you on this. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. You ever feel like you're alone and drifting through life? You need the intimate walk like this, where he is there at your side. He is your shield. Guarding the paths of justice. 
and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. He will increase your capacity for making right choices. He will increase your capacity for decision-making, for discernment, for um, the exercise of your will. Your will is going to be shaped according to his will. For wisdom will enter your heart. And that's a good thing. Okay? Wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This is the consequences of what happens. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. There's a benefit to this intimate walk. And of course, the absence of walking with the Lord means you're throwing all this away. You're throwing all this away and you're going to face every path, every course, every, uh, you're going you're to face all of this without the benefit of the Word of God shielding you and guarding you and, and uh, blessing you in that respect. Even the means has a means, all right? If receiving the Word and treasuring my commandments has the result of what we were just reading, the, 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 treasuring the Word of God has the result of that intimate walk with Jesus Christ, so it's a means to an end, but there's even a means to the means because how do I do this? How do I, how do I uh, receive his word? How do I treasure the commandments within him? Well, those are the imperatives from verse 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding and you do so prayerfully. As we see, crying for discernment and lifting your voice for understanding, those are prayer idioms. How do I make my heart ready? How do I make my heart, my ear attentive? How do I incline my heart? Okay, that's... Uh, well, you do so prayerfully. You go to him and you ask. And if your hunger is not what it used to be, ask him about that too. <laughs> All right? My eagerness isn't what it used to be. Ask him for that too. And say, Father, I, I don't know why. My inclination isn't what it was. My inclination now appears to be this other thing. And I don't want my inclination to be this other thing. I want my inclination to be your word, first and foremost. All right. So make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline. Those are imperatives. And it's left within your volitional capacity, my volitional capacity, to uh, obey the means to the means. Secondly, point B, treasuring the Word of God means I place it in a particular location, both guarded and regarded. Guarded and regarded. The Hebrew vocabulary is tzafan. We talked about this. This is something that you treasure. This is something that is precious. It is of value that you esteem it, all right? You're not just going to neglect it. You're not going to forget where you put it. It's not something that you're going to shove in a box somewhere and then, you know, not even dig it out for 20 years until someone asks you, oh yeah, where, where, where'd you stick that thing? Where'd you put that? I don't remember. You know, it's no big deal. Who cares? Okay? No, the Word of God needs to be treasured. It is placed in a very specific location, all right? It's like, uh, you know, there's other vocabulary, like harem, for example, is another vocabulary you know where, where's the king keep his women where does he keep his wives it's not just anywhere there's a, a special guarded room okay there's a special place there's staff eunuchs that you put assign to watch over your uh, your wives in a again not today that's a ancient world practice um but a treasure okay and the word can refer to the treasure itself or the treasure room the storehouse where you keep it different applications there. The, he, the prophet Zephaniah, read Zephaniah lately? Tzafan is the, the verb behind Tzafan, Tzafan Yahu, Yahweh treasures. 
Okay. Attentive ears and inclined hearts are the attitudinal prerequisites. The attitudinal prerequisites. And to me, this is this really cuts to uh, the essence of our spirituality, the essence of our walk. Attentive ears and inclined hearts are the attitudinal prerequisites to receiving and treasuring. See, this is a step even further back than mental, than thinking, right? Because attitudes shape your thinking. Uh, it's it's pretty common as we're growing. We learn about overt sins, okay? We learn about the Ten Commandments. We learn about sins of omission, and those are harder than sins of commission, right? We start to learn these processes. We start to learn about sins. And, and so our basic approach to sin is overt, stuff we do, okay? Um, anger, lust, stealing, murder, I mean, stuff like that, right? And then we start to learn about other sins, like sins of the tongue, gossip, and slander, and those are harder than the overt sins. And then we start to learn about... Um, uh, sins of omission, not doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, <laughs> right? Oh, that's a sin too, because to him who knows the, the good to do and does not do it, sins, right? Doug has a song for that, all right? So we have all these categories of sins, and we learn more and more and more. Then we learn about the mental attitude sins. We learn about our thinking sins, that, oh my goodness, that, you know, I... I commit murder before i commit murder because my anger is is premeditated murder and and or or lust is premeditated adultery and jesus teaches about how the mental attitude is behind the overt sins okay and so our thinking is where we need to get a handle on these things because our thinking is what we're accountable for god holds us accountable for how we choose to think now even behind conscious thoughts are the unconscious or subconscious attitudes and the attitude of eagerness, the attitude of humility, is an attitude that will shape the thinking. That's why I say this is the pinnacle. This is the heart attitude of the fear of the Lord, for example. That's the beginning of wisdom. Because it's that attitude that's going to shape your thinking. And your thinking then will determine what you do. Right? So, this is uh, what we look at here. Now, we have these verses about being eager to hear, Humble to treasure. Uh, Psalm 90, we looked at these last week. Psalm 90 and uh, verse 12 is, teach us, Lord, to count, uh, to, uh, count our days, right? Um, Psalm 90, I mean, it should be a daily attitude check. Teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom, it says. Pretty sure that's it. Yes, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. I put that verse in every funeral, every funeral service. Teach us to number our days. We don't know how many days we have. For the, the, the deceased person I'm preaching at the funeral, their, their days are done. But we don't know. When are our days going to be done? Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's today. Teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Am I eager for the word of God today? Proverbs 22, 17 through 21 is kind of an expansion on today's passage. It's a fuller expression of Proverbs 2, 2. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your mind to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may correctly answer him who sent you? We understand that we are accountable for the one who sent us. Isaiah 55, 3 
Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Incline your ear, we're told. Matthew 13, 9. He spoke to them in parables, but to the disciples. Oh, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. And then James 1, 19 and 21. Be slow to speak and quick to hear. That's why we have one mouth and two ears. We talked about that last week also. James. Remember, James is the New Testament Proverbs. Okay, James is wisdom literature for the church age. It is the uh, it is the it is our proverbs for uh, um, the body of Christ in the the Greek canon of Scripture. James one nineteen. This you know, my beloved. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In verse twenty one, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. All the remains of wickedness and humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. That's our second capacity of save, saving experientially, saving from the sin temptations and snares of, of this life. All right. Crying and lifting your voice are prayer idioms. They are prayer idioms. They are also expressions for what wisdom itself does. All right. Ask for wisdom. That prayer is always answered. Cry for wisdom. Don't just whisper it. Cry for it. Shout for it. Call upon the Lord. When you ask for wisdom, He will never decline. He will never reject that prayer. He will never slap you upside the head and say, well, dummy, I gave that to you already. Use what I gave you. No. He gives to all liberally and without reproach. Okay? Or generously and without reproach. If you have some kind of political objection to being called liberal, he gives to all liberally and without reproach. That means he doesn't call us names. That means he doesn't scorn us. He doesn't criticize our need for his wisdom. Crying out and lifting up your voice. I love some of these expressions. To me, some of the idioms are are so vivid in what they're describing that that they themselves, I think, contain principles that we ought to uh, be paying attention to. I believe uh, David and so many of the psalmists, the Psalm 119 guy, I think a lot of these Old Testament believers had a prayer life which is, is extraordinary given the limited amount of scriptures that they had. Right? They didn't have Ephesians. They didn't have Colossians. They didn't know about, they didn't have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They weren't baptized in a union with Christ. I don't believe they had the Holy Spirit interceding on their behalf with groanings too deep for, for understanding. I tend to categorize that blessing as a church age provision. All right. But what they had, they used, and they developed a prayer life of tremendous intimacy. They called upon the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. And we see this idiom here. And in the, maybe I selected too many. There's a lot of them, okay? There's a lot of them, and I could have selected more than these. But let's just go with these. Psalm 3 and verse 4. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. See, he's going through tough stuff. Here's uh david fleeing from absalom his son absalom is 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 staging a coup he's taking the throne he's 
doing horrible things with the harem, with uh, uh, David's uh, wives, and uh, in full public view, so as to bring the greatest amount of shame upon David to publicly uh, judge him for what David did in secret with Bathsheba. And he says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him and God. And this was not just a single day test. This went on for days, for weeks, for a, for a period of time. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Whatever they're saying is irrelevant. Oh, I use that word again. Whatever they're saying is uh, does not affect the plan of God and what God's going to do. So whatever they're doing, all right. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. That's the shield we're learning about today in Proverbs chapter 2. We're intimate with the Lord. We're in His Word. He is our shield. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. And you think about the, the duration of this. What, just one single prayer, two prayers, a hundred prayers. How often do you pray these kind of prayers? And crying. All right, It's not kind of the boo-hoo sadness with tears crying, but this is shouting out crying. And he answered me from his holy mountain. And what I love is I lay down and slept. Isn't that great? He made it a, a fervent matter of prayer. He got his answer and he went to bed. <laughs> You know, why sweat it after that? Why sweat it after that? And maybe your answer uh, doesn't come verbally or in a burning bush or in some kind of a uh, epiphany. Maybe your answer just comes, I mean, it will be an epiphany. Your answer comes when you're sitting in a Bible class or you're reading a verse or, or somebody, a brother or a sister comes and talks and all of a sudden a promise of God flashes across your mind and you go, oh, well, that's the answer for what I was worried about. All right, Lord. And then you let it go. You let it go. At that point, you're done. You've got your answer. Don't be like Balaam and go back again and again and again and try to get a better answer or a different answer. You've got your answer. Thank him for it and go to bed, as David does here. <laughs> okay? And uh, you can, this is faith rest, okay, in uh, that particular doctrine. All right, over to Psalm 22. The words of Jesus on the cross. I think we're all familiar with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how this starts. My personal theory, I forget where I first heard this. Um, I, I'm not convinced that that's where Jesus stopped. You know, we, we know in the Gospels that those are the words he spoke on the cross because those are the words that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recorded. But um, is that where he stopped? I suspect that he recited the entire psalm from memory, that he kept going, that he kept reciting all these verses, because many of these verses apply right here on the cross. All right, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and you and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Remember, the one who trusts in the Lord will never be disappointed. He will never let you down. 
Now, if you're waiting for the answer and it's not come yet, that doesn't mean he's less faithful. All right? We keep trusting, we keep trusting, and he will answer when it's his good pleasure to do so, when it glorifies him to do so, when it benefits us to do so. Quite a few of our tests, uh, we would cut them off and make them too short before they did us any good, before we learned any real lessons, all right? Before it achieved everything he wanted it to achieve. You know, sorry to, you know, if that's what you're hoping, that every test in life would be quick and easy, they don't always work out that way. Some are very, very long tests, and we that's how we learn. All right. Anyway, here's crying out that shows up again and again and again there in Psalm 22. The rest of this is just extraordinary, and you wonder, David wrote this a thousand years before the cross, but it's like he's hanging there on the cross. He's writing this from the first-person perspective. And I have to believe that David saw the cross from inside Jesus' eyes, that somehow God gave him a prophetic insight to that or whatever, in a vision, brought him forward in time, a thousand years, and and he saw the cross from the cross. He saw the dogs surrounding him, the band of evildoers encompassing him. He saw the, the uh, uh, poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. He saw they pierced my hands and my feet. David literally never experienced crucifixion in his, in his earthly life. David, the King David, the man, was never crucified. Crucifixion wasn't even invented until the Persians developed it and then the Romans perfected it. Um, but he's writing about it right here. Okay? So I believe that, he, uh, that the Lord put him in a vision and he prophetically saw the cross from the cross, from the cross itself. In any event. All right, Psalm 34. Next one here crying out and i wonder do we cry out do we shout are we uh insistent in our prayers as the lord told the woman be impertinent demand go to that judge again and again and again cry out be an imitator of these psalmists that cry out an imitator of our lord who cried out psalm 34 This is a uh, psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech (laughs) who drove him away and he departed. The funniest thing in the Bible. I think the Bible's full of a lot of humor. And um, that episode, when when, you can read about it in in 1 Samuel, when uh, David is is feigning madness and he just acts like a madman, starts drooling all over his beard and starts acting the fool. And uh, King Abimelech says, do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to play the madman in my presence? You know, that is just the greatest thing. Am I, am I short of lunatics that you brought one extra one to me here? All right, it's just a marvelous verse. Sometimes I want to make that my Facebook status update, you know, or whatever. Just, do I lack madmen? Why is this going on? Anyway, uh, these are the testings we face, okay? And... Um, Nevertheless, I will bless the Lord at all times. <laughs> His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Yeah, my career is a little bit derailed at the moment, and I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing in life, but you know what? God's still in charge. And uh, don't, be, don't, don't you dare voice, uh, well, I can't get any worse than this. <laughs> that's, that's just testing the Lord right there. I'm not going to test the Lord like that to say, how much worse can it get? 
My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When it really gets bad, don't just pray by yourself. Grab some buddies. Grab some brothers and sisters in Christ. Make it a, turn it into a prayer meeting. Get together and, and, and do this together. And it's, it's a time of worship. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They, who's the they there? I believe the they there is the brothers that he brought along on board to, to join him in these prayers. Because they saw the Lord answering David's prayers. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. They, they, they prayed with him, and they saw David's prayers answered. They learned from his testing experience. I love that. This, this way we get multiplied glory. More and more believers can give glory to this. If he would have just, you know, doctrine of privacy, I'm going to keep it to myself. I don't want him to know how, how, uh, what kind of sadness I'm under right now. Well, wait a minute then you're not giving them the opportunity to learn uh, what these prayers can do. So this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And you've got an opportunity to teach your children this. Show them, tell them the things you're praying for, all right? I mean, within the capacity, I mean, if they're four years old, they don't have to know about all the details of stuff, but at least they know that you're praying. They know what you're asking the Lord for. And when the prayer is answered, tell them, look at this. Look what God provided. We were asking him for this. Again, within their capacity for understanding. And they become teenagers, tell them you're praying for them. <laughs> all right. Psalm 119 and verse 145. One forty five and one forty six. You know it's Psalm one nineteen, because how many chapters have one hundred and forty five and one hundred and forty six verses, right? The Kof strophe. I cried with all my heart, Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, O Lord. You ever give orders to God? Tell him what to do? Jesus did, Moses did, Abraham did. The Psalm 118 psalmist did. I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, that has caused me to live. It's a causative um, Hebrew stem there. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. So crying out insistently. Finally, uh, see, we get two more. One, Psalm 120 and Psalm 130. Prayer for deliverance from the treacherous, a song of ascents. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Yep. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be trouble. And then finally, Psalm 130 and verse 1. Out of the depths, 
We've got some hymns that use this, right? Out of the depths. Some very uh, marvelous hymns that use this and praise choruses and whatever. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. You know, the Lord heard Jonah. <laughs> you know, you th- are you that deep yet? See? Out of the depths. Where, you know, don't think you're so deep that he can't get to you. Don't think you're so far out there that he can't get to you. You're not that lost. You're not that far. All right. That's more song lyrics. It's a... It's called Water Walking God. And uh, you're out there in the boat, the waves are tossing, and you think there's no help. And here comes Jesus walking across the waves, and you're not too far. You're not that lost. He can, he can get to you. So just trust in Him. All right. Now, crying out, lifting up your voice. This is what we do in prayer. All right? But this is what God does. This is what wisdom does communicating to us. So it's bi-directional. The communication is two-way. We cry out. We lift up our voice. God cries out. He lifts up His voice. But He's not crying out, lifting up His voice, asking us for stuff. He's crying out, lifting up His voice, bestowing His wisdom upon us. And this is what we're going to read about in uh, Proverbs 8. And uh, the very same expressions. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding lift up her voice? Rhetorically. Yes, of course. Of course, wisdom calls. Yes, wisdom lifts up her voice. Loud and clear. (laughs) All right? When God wants His will to be known, He gets that word across. It's not something He's whispering that you've got to strain to hear. On top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. In other words, everywhere. From a height, okay, Project that voice out there beside the way, where the paths meet, public crossroads, everywhere. Everywhere you may go, the Word of God has application. Beside the gates, the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors. So we talked about the nature of public wisdom. It's instilled in the home, but it's expressed publicly. We want to be living the Word of God in our public life, in our business life, in, our, um, in, the, in the marketplace, in the judicial centers, in every capacity. To you, O man, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Yep. All right, well, we'll deal with that. Ask for wisdom. That prayer is always answered. Cry out for it. Cry out for it. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your understanding. If you cry for it, if you lift your voice for understanding, think about it. How could God not answer that prayer? If you ask for a fish, is he going to give you a snake? If you ask for a loaf, is he going to give you a stone? You're asking for what you're supposed to ask for. He is going to lead you in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Uh, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your steps. What's He going to do? You've, you've asked for wisdom and He's going to trip you up or He's going to send you down a wrong road. He's going to shove you into a dead-end path. What's He going to do? Of course He's going to provide. You are responding to His... This is why you have every right to demand it. You have every right to order Him around. Every right to say, answer me. Not because I deserve it, but because you promised you would. And you're holding him to his character. James 1.5, and you know it, it's, I quote it a lot. If any of you lacks wisdom, and you do, <laughs> okay? Let's just get that out of the way. This is all of us. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. See, here's the thing. There's a competitor out there. There's a false father out there. There's a wisdom from below that's earthly, natural, demonic. And the course of this age, the ruler of this age, would just more than be more than happy to dish up all his kind of wisdom. He's more than happy for you to come to him. And the, the minute you turn to him, oh, he'll, he'll pour it on. He'll pile it on. He'll, he'll throw in a few extra carnal treasures to boot. He'll do all kinds of things to reward you for coming to him and not going to your real father, not going to your heavenly father, because that's his whole plan and program. So when you uh, go to God, and when you, um, this is why I think it's a, it's a double glory when you can make it a prayer meeting and, and get other brothers and sisters to share with you in this prayer. It's not just a silent prayer at that point. It's verbalized. It's publicly expressed before men and angels alike that I belong to God the Father and I am entitled to ask of Him. I have privileges. I have access. And God will give generously and without reproach. It will be given to Him. It will be given. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. <laughs> now, we can talk about the methods that he uses, the mechanisms, the means. A lot of times, um, we will be, uh, we will have our wisdom increased as we, as we endure the hardships, as we, um, as we take our lumps and face the consequences for the the bad choices we made. All right. Um, if we've made bad choices, it may be that the, the process of enduring those consequences is the mechanism God will use to increase our wisdom capacity so that we don't make those dumb choices next time, right? This is not just to take away all my problems and, and, and put, a, you know, put a band-aid on my boo-boo. This is, God will, um, we will learn wisdom through the, the, the tough stuff, okay? But he must ask in faith without any doubting. You must ask in faith. Now, what's the faith? The faith is not just wishful thinking. The faith isn't just wanting it to be true. The faith isn't just a sincere desire to make it so. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith is in an object. Faith is in His faithfulness. Faith is claiming what He has promised, knowing that He will provide wisdom because His Word says He's going to provide wisdom without any doubting. When you go to God in prayer and you ask for something and you're skeptical that He's able to do it, or you're skeptical that He wants to do it, or you're skeptical that He said He would do it, or you're skeptical that it's, it's not going to work, nothing else worked, why would this work? Okay. Well, why did you try everything else before you tried this? <laughs> should have gone to this first. Don't be doubting. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You demonstrate how unstable you are when you doubt that your Father can provide. How insulting is that? If you can, if you can. Remember when Jesus was incensed and the man said, if you can, my son can be made well. If you can, who are you talking to? (laughs) This is the creator God of the universe. So if you ask doubting, no, no, being a double-minded man, unstable in all, all his ways. You're carnal. Those prayers aren't going to be heard. They're not going to be answered. You need to get humble first. You need to confess your doubt. Confess your lack of faith. Confess your, uh, the carnality that's keeping you from the, uh, the prayer life you're supposed to have. You're the double-minded man, be unstable in all his ways. All right. Seek and ye shall find. 
Seek and ye shall find. Proverbs 2, verses 4 and 5. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. Then you will find. Okay? Now, seeking for silver isn't just, you know, walking around, looking around. Oh, don't see any. Metals you got to dig for. Okay? Uh, you got you to sink a shaft and dig. Okay? Or pan for gold. Or, I mean, this is, these are treasures, but they're hidden. You got to put the effort into to the uh, precious metal extraction. If it uh, if it was easy, it wouldn't be precious, right? If it was just everywhere, well, then everybody would have it, and who would it be? It, there'd be no value to it. You'd offer somebody some silver, and they'd say, "No thanks." Everybody has that. But the fact is, you seek her as silver. You will find it. He will reward the endeavor. And search for her as for hidden treasures. Again, they're hidden. They're not just out there. It's not just obvious. You've got to hunt. You've got to look. But God will reward the search. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. He um, challenges us to be diligent in this regard. That's why we're commanded to be diligent to present yourself before Him. Workmen needing not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why churches like ours are mostly small. There's exceptions and whatever, but um, mostly Christians don't want to work hard. There's just too much thinking. As to wait a minute, well, you just I didn't don't want that. I just want to feel good. I don't want to think, <laughs> right? That's hard work. Just you know, let me listen to some kind of motivational thing, make me happy, tell me I'm okay, and uh, don't ask for too much money, and we're good. All right, and I'll feel. My guilt is assuaged. I've done my nod to God thing and we're good to go. All right? Those kind of places thrive. Seek, knock, ask. You familiar with these? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And you know, this was a principle in the Old Testament for Israel and their stewardship. But how much more vivid is it for us in the church age? who have the immediate access to God the Father because of our high priest who has passed through the veil. It's that much more uh, intense for us in our stewardship. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Now, what is uh, Matthew chapter 7? It's within the scope of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and that's the portion of the gospel of matthew we call what do we call it sermon on the mount right and the sermon on the mount is israel for their application we think of this as the as the um charter for the messianic kingdom this is the constitution if you will of the uh of the millennial kingdom of jesus christ and so we we can accept it on that basis and recognize that the um the preliminary application, the immediate application is for Israel in their coming kingdom. But the secondary application, the spiritual uh, realities that are taught here are very applicable for us in the church, and we have no issues there adapting these principles to uh, church age application. I think even more so, beyond simply adapting them, 
adapting them with the recognition that our uh, stewardship is greater, that our stewardship is even more intimate than Israel's will be in the millennial kingdom. Because we are a heavenly people, baptized into union with Jesus Christ. Now, um, this is in the Matthew 7 context that all the skeptics will throw in your face. Judge not, lest you be judged. Okay. <laughs> Have you heard that? Have you had some uh, unbeliever slap you with that and say, uh, you know, leave me alone? Um, failing to recognize that the, uh, the following verses uh, say just the opposite of what they think verse 1 says. In the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured. That you don't hold them to a hypocritical standard, but you, we, we all are in the standard of God's absolute standard of righteousness. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Okay? So we realize that this is a, a context that's applying to brothers, applying to one another, that we have a duty to one another, and we should be mindful of his needs and to provide for him and to speak the truth in love. But we need to make sure that we, uh, we're, on, we're seeing clearly first of all. That's why it says, uh, how can you uh, say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. So it's one thing to just simply point out a flaw. It's a better thing to offer to remedy that flaw. Uh, but to do so, though, you yourself have to have your eye clear to see, you know, to see clearly. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's expected that you're going to do so as soon as your issues are dealt with, as soon as you're taken care of. You can see clearly. Now you've got the opportunity to judge according to that standard of judgment. All right. Anyway, that's no extra charge for that. I'm headed for verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. It's repeated three times, but it's saying the same thing every time. Ask, seek, knock. It's, it's done in prayer. We're going to the Father, and uh, He will give uh, all of these promises, like we have in Proverbs chapter 2. Ask, and it will be given according to His will it will be given. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. Seek. Well, seek what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Don't try to pervert this verse and turn it into, a, into a, an incantation or a magic spell or, or some kind of a blank check to feed your, your carnality, right? Don't ask for sin. Don't seek for, for carnality. I had an inmate that um, years ago that... Uh, told me that every time he broke into a house, he, he would pray that um, there would not be somebody inside that house with a gun. And so he would pray before every burglary, right? And then he asked me, he says, do you think those prayers get heard? Do those prayers get answered? And I said, I think God says thou shalt not steal, all right? You need, you need to reorient to scriptures here and find another career, all right? And I saw him years later, actually, uh, over on Woodrow. He knocked on the church door one time and just out of the blue, right? And uh, I looked at him and I called out his name and he called out my name and kind of an interesting reunion. Anyway, um, ask, seek, and find. Or uh, seek and knock, all right? Knock. What's the knock about? 
The knock means that we're looking for further doors to be opened. We're looking for further ministry to engage in. And that whatever the testing is right here and now, God's not just testing us for the here and now. He's equipping us for what's coming up next after this, right? That's why I want to make sure I don't blow it on this test because this test, you know, I may think that this is the worst thing I've ever faced, and maybe it is, but it's nothing compared to what's coming up, right? Because what I'm facing right here, right now, even if this is the worst test of my life, it is still suiting me for something else down the road. It is still something that I'm expected that God expects to build upon down the road. So, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? See, we don't do this, and we're finite human beings. Why do we think God's going to do this? We think God's going to do this? Of course not. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and this is it's a it's a expression, you're not necessarily evil, but in the in the contrast between infinite and finite, the contrast uh, the, the the language of extreme is used as a as a literary device, a rhetorical device, to demonstrate the infinity between God above and us below. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, ask, uh, give what is good to those who ask Him? And that's the, uh, that's the principle of it. So, what we want to do, we want to be teaching our children to be disciples. We want to be training them to seek the Word of God. We want to teach them to dig for it, to treasure it, to hunt for it, to uh, ask, seek, and knock, to where they themselves are pursuing it. All right, to be active in their uh, pursuit of truth and not just simply passive, uh, take it or leave it kind of approach. All right, now, main point two then for the chapter. Believers fellowship with the Lord through the word of His mouth. Believers fellowship with the Lord through the word of His mouth. This is what happens as you receive it. It becomes the basis for your fellowship. Kind of (laughs) interesting. There's so many definitions of what fellowship even is. But um, the idea that you can have fellowship with God and not know His Word, how's that even possible? How can you even conceive of that? as possible fellowship is not is is more than just simply proximity it's a commonality and it's done as he communicates and as we communicate that the the fellowship takes place as it says the lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding word of mouth if you think about um are you within earshot of, of him when he's speaking? How close do you got to be to hear the spoken word? All right. Are you within earshot? Are you, are you where he is speaking? As it says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Joe Hermit Christian that avoids church attendance, is he, is he within earshot? Because it's from his mouth. Also, 
We understand that the word from his mouth is a piercing sword. <laughs> All right? The word from his mouth is a piercing sword. The word from his mouth is a piercing sword. Take it anyway. Let it pierce. Well, I don't like it. Okay. Can you at least like what it does to you? Start liking it. How about that? Treasure it. Value it. It's not pleasant, but it is pleasant. What it does is pleasant. Discipline doesn't at the moment doesn't seem to be pleasant, but afterward, when you've been trained by it, it's pleasant. So we have the descriptions of it here. The word from his mouth. Not only is it uh, spoken of here in Proverbs 2, 6, it's going to come back again in Proverbs 8. We looked at these already. 6 through 8, when we were looking at the terms cry out and lift up your voice. Um, In Proverbs 8, verses 6 through 8, it says, Listen, for I will speak noble things. And the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness, even the ones that hurt. <laughs> okay, The ones that uh, highlight what's going well, and the ones that highlight what needs to stop. All, right? All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choices, choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare with her. When push comes to shove and you're faced with a dilemma, do I make the economic choice or do I make the spiritual choice? What's the priority? Is the priority Bible class or making a buck? What's the priority? God knows you need to make a buck. But how and when and where and why and the ways and means for doing that, is that his business also? Which comes first, which comes second in the priority list? Seek ye first. Nothing wrong with seeking, uh, you know, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. He knows you need the food. He knows you need the money. He knows you need all these things. Heavenly Father is not a moron. He knows you need these things. He knows what you need before you even ask, right? Okay? That moron thing was mine. That's not Scripture. But um, He knows what you need before you even ask. So you, you still ask. And as long as you've sought first, there's nothing wrong with seeking second and seeking third and seeking fourth, right? It's actually implied in the, in the adverb first. The adverb first doesn't say seek only the kingdom of God. It says seek first the kingdom of God. That's, that's, that's huge. I think maybe never thought of that before, right? It doesn't say seek only. It says seek first. Then you seek second, you seek third and whatever. And so in Proverbs 8, when it says choose wisdom over silver or rather than gold, if, if he gives both, great. But if, if you've got to take one or the other, make sure it's the one not the other, okay? All right. So the word from his mouth is a piercing sword. We know that from Hebrews. We know that from Revelation. The word from his mouth is a piercing sword. Uh, Hebrews 4.12. And if you've heard a hundred or a thousand bracketate messages, then you've heard this verse before. This is the passage that is like according to his promise. Right? You've heard that a few times because that's 
what the pastor always starts with. Well, pastor theme always starts with, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. That's what it does. Be thankful for it. And it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So many, uh, so many truths there. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I find that remarkable. A surgeon, before they operate, they've got to do their scans, right? They've got to do their x-rays. They've got to look, do the, I mean, they don't have x-ray vision. They can't see where they're going to put stick that knife, all right? So they get all the best pictures they can, all the best images they can, and then they, they go in there and they, they cut what they think they need to cut. And sometimes even then they get surprised. Oh, didn't see that on the scan, right? Well, God doesn't have that problem. His word pierces exactly where it needs to pierce, exactly as deep as it needs to pierce, and it, it severs what needs to be severed. And that can be a, a good thing. And it might hurt at, during the process of it. But once it's all done, hey, praise the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. It's not on the screen, but this is extra credit. Again, no charge for this either. Hebrews chapter 12. It is for discipline that you endure. And uh, he disciplines us. And how does he discipline us? Oftentimes it's through his word. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, it says in verse 11. But sorrowful yet to those who have been trained by it. See, the sorrow itself is in the will of God. We saw that in 2 Corinthians. The sorrow that is according to the will of God that leads to repentance. The sorrow to those who have been trained by it. Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of of righteousness. There is a benefit. There is a benefit to the Word of God. And yeah, it's not a picnic. It's not fun. You're not, you know, you're not enjoying the discipline. But you can rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice in what you're not enjoying emotionally. Anyway, thank you, Lord, for bringing that verse to my attention this morning. That's it was a verse I uh, had to employ with a... Uh, this is amazing. I, I, um, I used this verse in the army when I was in trouble. <laughs> and I had broken a rule. And I had uh, a lieutenant that sat me down and explained to me that I was in violation of things and, and I was going to um, do extra duty. I'd been assigned an extra 24-hour guard duty shift as a consequence for what I'd done. And uh, I didn't like it, but I knew I deserved it. Probably deserved worse. And I said, "Yes, sir." And and then I finished my duty, and uh, and I thanked him <laughs> as I was getting off and going home to go to sleep. Uh, I thanked him for disciplining me, and he thought that was the weirdest thing he'd ever heard. And I said, "Well, in Hebrews four or Hebrews twelve, it says that discipline accomplishes a purpose, and you should be thankful afterwards." And uh, I'm not sure that he understood that, but. But here's just yesterday, just yesterday, I found him on Facebook. And uh, I haven't connected yet. I haven't sent him a request yet, but I found him on Facebook. He is on Facebook, and he's, you know, anyway. Well, um, Revelation 1, the sword of his mouth. Revelation 2, the sword of his mouth. Revelation 19, he conquers the world with the sword of his mouth. All right, and he brings an end to Antichrist and the 
rebellion there. Well, out of time. Okay, we'll come back to this. Um, we'll see what God does in uh, uh, shielding, guarding, and preserving. We'll see what the Word of God does when it enters your heart. We'll see the active work of the Word of God in our lives. And uh, we'll see the deliverance that then takes place from the evil men and the strange women. Okay? <laughs> Both in view. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your truth. We thank you for your faithfulness in Christ's name. Amen.